Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up, Harlan Coben shares stories of his anti-hero and brand new thriller win. Brenda Edwards, for to she, celebrates Loose Women's RTS Awards win. Neil Dudgeon builds our expectations for the brand new series of Midsummer Murders. And Georgia Tofolo shares the love in her brand new Mills and Boone, Meet Me in Hawaii. But before all that, here's Maria. Hello, my dear. Good morning, Graham Norton. How the hell are you? I'm very well, fully vaccinated. Well, not fully vaccinated, but I've got, I've got no, some, I've got pop. something in my system. Yes, that's most peculiar about your textual message you oh, need yes. to get. Now, did you get a text? Did you go? You went through the NHS portal, didn't you? I did, and I've got, you know, I've got all my numbers. I've been given all my numbers, so that's all cool, isn't it? Yeah, you, the booking reference bit. Yes, but you didn't get a text. I haven't. No. Okay. Well, maybe just go online and check. Because okay, I, I went online to check and it said, oh, sorry, you've missed your appointment. Oh, for goodness sake. And it was, like, and it was in the future, so I didn't understand. But anyway, um, uh, I don't know whose fault it was, but they couldn't have been nicer. Everyone was absolutely lovely. And the lady who injected me yesterday, she was so good that, you know, when they say, oh, now, a bit of a sharp scratch, uh, no sharp scratch, to the point where I thought, oh, unless she hates me and she hasn't actually injected me at all. Because <laughs> I was looking away and she just sent me out going, ha ha, that idiot thinks he's been vaccinated. He hasn't. But I'm sure, I know, I'm sure, I'm sure. Your I'm pain sure. threshold is very high, though, I think. You know, you can, you can take a lot of suffering before you notice anything. I guess, I don't know, but I had no side effects, so I'm good. That's excellent news. Excellent news. Although you are speaking in a foreign language this morning, you know that, don't you? <laughs> and also, I was a bit confused when I got into the building this morning. I got out of the lift. And I was like, is it Saturday? Am I meant to be here? <laughs> I hope I haven't got this wrong. Haven't you got a carer to tell you those things? <laughs> I, had to, I had to look at a newspaper. <laughs> oh, it is Saturday. That's great. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. There's warmth in the sun down here, sat down south this morning. <gasps> Not so in, in London, I hear. It's what? It, well, it's it's grey, but it's not cold. You know, I had a perfectly nice, I had a light jacket on as I cycled in this morning. Oh, very nice. good. Yeah. No, it's actually, there's a warmth. So I'm thinking summer dress, flip flops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do it. And then uh, frozen to death. Found, found frozen to death on the seafront. On the beach. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I have to say congrats, congratulations to Lawrence Cheney. For Drag Race. Yes. It was such a good final. I mean, all four of those um, drag queens will go on to uh, other things and great things. uh, Yes, because you sort of fall in love with all four of them, uh, particularly in those little confessionals and stuff. Yeah, really good. Oh, my goodness. When they held up photographs of them when they were seven and said, what would you tell that person? It was heartbreaking. I mean, really, a genius producer idea. But uh, that was just lovely. And I feel all four of them, you're absolutely right, will be able to add at least a couple of noughts to the end of their booking fee um, as a result of being one of the final four. Yeah. So long so long as places you can go be, to be a drag queen open soon <laughs> before I, before season three appear, suddenly marches into... <laughs> I think they will. But I was surprised that Lawrence Cheney, if you haven't watched this, people, it is such a heartwarming show and people being who they want to be. Uh, he doesn't want to leave Dundee. Now, I'm thinking Dundee is not the capital of no, drag race. No, no, no. He's in Glasgow. Uh, Ellie Diamond's Dundee. Oh, Ellie Diamond. Okay, so yeah. Lawrence Cheney is Glasgow. But then I thought maybe he just wants to be the queen of Glasgow and, you know, not not take on the competition down in London, which is fierce, I understand. Nobody can be on the sleeper with Kirsty Walk. They, they can travel together. That'll be nice. Uh, <laughs> I hear they're firm friends. Yes. Well, I think if you if you get that sleeper, you know Kirsty Walk. Apparently she basically lives on it. Uh, so... <laughs> So, yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence and Kirsty, they can be up and down to Glasgow all the time. Nice. No, Graham. Yes. I've got some new neighbours. Do do, have you gone this in, in lockdown slightly where your tolerance levels are low? I feel great compassion all the time, but then occasionally my tolerance levels drop, plummet, because some new neighbours, not, oh, yes. not very near, have moved in. And I happen to spot in their window a dream catcher. Do you remember those things? I do, yes. They catch your dreams and it's true and don't undermine them. And I saw that and I just muttered under my breath or to my dog Dolly, you have a dream catcher and now I must destroy you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, says the woman with a Christmas tree. (laughs) 
No, but people are constantly trying to destroy me. It's coming down on Tuesday. That was the thing. It's going to come down when I have my vaccination. Goodness, I will just be buried under a pile of needles. It's just a day of needles. That's all that day is. (laughs) It's needle day. (laughs) I will suffocate with my own needles. And then all the people that hated me for keeping my Christmas tree up will feel justified. Poor woman. Poor local woman. (laughs) Her mouth filled up with needles and she couldn't breathe. (laughs) And she'd had the vaccine. It's so sad. (laughs) We're laughing now, Graham. We're laughing now. No, no, you'll be fine on Tuesday. And and again, you have the constitution of an ox. You will not have side effects. I can tell. I can just tell. Yeah, you'll be fine. Well, I think the trick is not to read the leaflet that tells you what the possible side effects could be. Because, you know, I'm very suggestible. So if somebody tells me, you know, I will have a headache and um, flu-like symptoms, then I will have them. Although now, having said that, I'm... ah. But also, it's like, uh, you know, pregnant people say that uh, when people find out you're pregnant, the first thing they want to tell you is horror stories about friends of theirs when they were pregnant or what happened to them in their pregnancy. And I think it's the same with the vaccine. Anyone I said I was having the vaccine had a terrible story to tell me (laughs) about something that happened to a friend of theirs. I mean, I understand that there's not much to talk about at the moment, but really, if I see another photograph on social media of people's little card saying they've had the vaccine, (laughs) I may well have to go and rip that dream catcher down. No, I I got my sticker yesterday. And I thought, oh, yes, I, I'll Instagram that. And then as I was cycling home, I thought, oh, actually, I can't be bothered. <laughs> like, like, they've given out, what, how many millions of vaccinations? Really, it's, it's I know, we're good. Each we're one good. is personal. And I do get that it's quite an emotional thing because, you know, well, we were. It was we weirdly emotional. And what makes it emotional is not only that you have been vaccinated, so, but it's just all those people and all the volunteers all working together, being cheery, you know, not, you know, not losing their temper. It's lovely. It was a very, very, very nice atmosphere. It was gorgeous. Really nice. I hope, I hope you stayed and give the, gave them a 20-minute stand-up set, Graham. Yeah, I did. I gave them a tight 20 and uh, they seemed to love it. Yeah, it went really, <laughs> Have really well. Have they rebooked you? Have they rebooked you? Yeah, I'll be there. Uh, every lunchtime now. I'm just doing, yeah, just lunchtime uh, stand-up sets. Uh, Maria McCurlin, go yeah. deal, deal with Dolly the dog, the postman, and find some letters. Graham's Guide. Would you like the first problem of today? I would. <clears throat> yes, please. Okay, here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, two years ago I joined an NCT group before the birth of my little boy, where I bonded with another expectant mum who gave birth to a little girl three days before I had my son. We became best friends and almost inseparable. Our kids played together and she felt like a sister to me. When she fell pregnant with her second child and found out it was a little boy, we discussed names and she said that my son's name was in the mix, along with many others. Given the fact that we'd become best friends over the last few years, I was astounded when the baby was born and she announced that she was giving it my son's name. I know I don't own the name, and if it had been anyone else, I wouldn't have minded. But the fact that she is, slash was, my best friend, makes me feel angry and betrayed that she didn't value our friendship enough to tell me before. I did tell her exactly how I felt, but she didn't think she'd done anything wrong. My son is going to be my only child, and as pathetic as it sounds, I feel like she's stolen a bit of my son's specialness and identity, especially as we're in a small, close-knit group of friends. We've not spoken in months. I feel so incredibly sad, and I think about her every day, but I'm unable to get rid of this resentment. I just don't know how to move on from this, and that is from Abigail in Cheshire. Oh, Abigail in Cheshire... Ah, this is a difficult one because my instinct here, Abigail in Cheshire, of course you don't own a name and, you know, unless your son is called something like Dionysus or Theseus or something particularly strange, you know, there are going to be lots of people with your son's name. I just feel that there's something, I don't know, you haven't filled us in in this letter, that I think there might be a bit of resentment that she's had a second child because what you've done here is you've made something that's easy to hang 
a bigger thing on with the name. The fact that you haven't seen her in months, you feel so incredibly sad and you think about her every day, means that you miss her, you want to be part of that group again. It's a very small thing. She did tell you that your son's name was in the mix and she hasn't done anything wrong. Your child is still very special. He still has his own identity. And this is about a name, or is it? You have to have a good long think, Abigail in Cheshire, and think, do I feel slightly resentment, or slight resentment of her because she's had an, another child? I don't want to go any further than that because we don't know your situation. But as Graham would say, and probably will say imminently, you need to put the name Dionysus or Theseus or Petrus into a little balloon and have gone Greek and Roman gods um, and let it go. That is just a name. This is your friend. You love her. She loves you. Graham? Well, I'm just thinking Dolly got off really lightly. <laughs> um, you know what? I When you were reading the problem, I was thinking, oh, this is so silly. It's just a name. Da, da, da. But actually, for some reason... This is very upsetting. When friends copy you, somehow it does feel weird. It does feel like they've stolen something from you. You know, if a friend likes what you're wearing and then buys the same thing, you're you're a bit like, what? What? Why would you do that? Um, and and it does happen in friendships where they admire you, they like you. It's sort of a compliment. But it's infuriating. And when it involves a child, I imagine it's even more infuriating. Do you, do you know what I mean? Have you ever had something like I, this happen? Yes, I do know what you mean. And I think in some ways what happens is people do admire you and they like your style or something about you. Uh, and you like them. And then a bad thing happens and it could just be buying the same top from Zara or any yeah. street store and then it makes you furious and you say, I mean, I can remember saying this, well, you know, we, we won't wear them at the same time and then you think, look, all the problems in the world, am I being petty? Yes, I am. Um, but it still feels that way. How long you want to hold on to that top, you know, not that top, that resentment, I mean, long after the top has worn out or it's gone out of fashion and neither of you wear it anymore. It's a kind of, you know, what it is, is somebody saying, this is a nice name. She did tell you, Abigail in Cheshire, she did say, your son's name is in the mix. That was your point to say, oh, please don't call him Dionysus because um, I feel he's very special and that's his identity. But I think, and I then think, you'll sound like a mad person. Yes, but I think you don't, I think Abigail probably didn't know how upset it, how upsetting it was going to be until it happened. I, and that's why I think there's something else at bay here. Something else. Oh, I don't um, know. Festering under the surface, Graham. You know, I mean, is this the first time she's copied you? Has she copied you before? You were such good friends. You went through an amazing thing together. You had children together. They've played together. You think about her every day, and it makes you sad. But there's something Let go about. Of the there, resentment. But I do think there's something about being copied that is so. I, I'm, I think I told you this before. But when we were in Bandon in County Cork, uh, this family moved from Canada and they bought a bungalow on the little road down by us. And that was very nice. Uh, bungalow beside them, their neighbours in Canada bought it and moved <laughs> to live beside. Oh, my goodness. And like, they weren't happy because, you know, they didn't ask. They didn't say, oh, we're thinking of moving to Ireland too. They follow them to Ireland. So, Abigail, at least that didn't happen. At least <laughs> No, but then tell me, you need to tell me the end bit. When they were next to your neighbours in the bungalow, did they get on or did they fall out or what Well, happened? they sort of got on, but, you know, but it was very much grin and bear it. I think nowadays, where people are a bit more emotionally articulate, you might have said something. Back then, you didn't. You just kind of went, I can't believe they did that and then you just got on with it but uh but yeah i mean that's quite a big thing the thing is graham abigail in cheshire is saying i just don't know how to move on from this she wants to move on from this she wants her friend and to be back in that circle that nct circle friendship back and she feels sad and she thinks about her every day so the only way you can get over this abigail is just to think 
I don't own that name. Yeah. I'm a bit sad, but I pref- I love her more than I care about the name. They will grow up. They will have different personalities. You know, somebody might change their name. It will be shortened. It'll be. It's a tiny thing. It's some yeah. letters in a row. And also, Google the name. Google the name because you'll find there are hundreds of people called that. Probably the same surname as yours, Abigail. So, you know, uh, remember, it's, your son is special. Your son is special. Nothing is making him less special because actually, as Maria said, unless you call him, you know, Boniface or something, uh, <laughs> his, his name is out there. I like this name game. This name it's game good. is good. Run and run, I, isn't it? I think Virgin would be like, thank God they never had children. <laughs> These are some of the worst children names we've ever heard. <laughs> Stop now. Tom in Birmingham. It is quite weird. Maybe it's something she always wanted. It was miffed you beat her to it. Have you spoken to the rest of your friends about it? Uh, Jane Croydon, understand that you can't live other people's lives and you can't change the past. However, you can change how you feel about it. Changing your view of it is the only way to resolve it. And that is the truth. Uh, Grant in Sunderland says, maybe your partner was really pushing this name. name. Try not to take it personally. Uh, Vivian in Luton, your son is still very special. No one can take that away from you. Chat about the root of the issues with her and salvage the friendship. Um, Jasmine advises it sounds like you're upset she didn't listen to you approach her from this angle rather than about the name that's done now and that's the thing I mean there's no changing (laughs) oh sorry I upset you I'll change my child's name that's not happening Um, and Tilly and Stowe is a good practical thing I think it would be worse if they were in the same year honestly I don't think your friendship is worth losing over this Uh, Kate in Pembrokeshire well Uh, My mom did exactly the same with her best friend. Her daughter was known as Big Kate and I was Little Kate. It was never an issue as her best friend is kind and generous and would never be precious about it. It's so important to not let this sort of thing ruin friendships. And that's from one of the Kates in Pembrokeshire. Um, And I suppose Big, Little, I mean, as that other, who was it? Uh, Tilly says, you know, at least they're not in the same year. So they are the only whatever they are in that year. Uh, Teresa and Torquay, how awful were you and how disappointing? I completely understand your feelings of hurting your friend. I would feel the same. I don't think Maria is correct in the assumption that Abigail may be jealous of your friend's pregnancy. I, I mean, she might be, but equally, I get how upsetting it might be. And uh, final um, one to Jane in Tiverton. If I'd always wanted to use a name, I wouldn't not use it because a friend did. In fact, a friend already used my son's name and it was fun. Really, get over it. She's got a lot of making up to do. Her friend lost her best confidant at a hard time. That is the truth. Virgin Radio. Okay, here's the second problem, Graham Norton. Dear Graham and Maria, my elderly neighbour lives alone. She isn't very mobile, so when lockdown began, I offered to do her shopping when I went, and I make a point of calling her once or twice a week to make sure she's okay, and we have a friendly chat. Last week, however... She mentioned to another neighbour of mine who checks in on her sometimes how she is tired of my, in, in inverted commas, interfering and wishes I would go away. I feel like I just want to leave her to stew in her own juice, but at the same time don't want to have any difficulties. I'm very conflicted and hurt. Thoughts, please. And that is from Melanie in Cambridge. Now, Melanie in Cambridge, who is this other neighbour <laughs> who has told you that she is tired of your interfering and wishes you would go away? Because, frankly, this other neighbour, yes, I'm talking to you, what were you thinking? What good did you think would come of this one sentence that has now become a grenade in everybody's life? This is very, very bad and poor management. <laughs> um, so, Melanie in Cambridge, <clears throat> don't stew and, no, don't let her stew. Don't be conflicted. Don't be her or let it go. Because I think what you can do is put it into the lady who you do the shopping for, in the ball in her court. So you can say to her, look, if I'm, you know, if, it's, if you find this too much, just let me know. Or shall I wait until you call me to let me know what shopping you went, want or if you want to chat? 
I don't think there's any reason to do confrontation because, of course, the lady will be then in a terrible position when you say, is it true you want me to stop interfering and wish I would go away? She would just say, oh, no, of course not. I love you calling and I love you getting my shopping because she'd be on the spot. So you could just gently bat that ball into her court and say, shall I wait? Because I don't want to be constantly calling you or be a bore or or if somebody else is getting your shopping then I'm not needed so you know do give me a call and I'm here if you need me and I won't take offense and remember this I won't take offense <laughs> if you don't need anything or if you would rather be left alone because you know it could be a, a throwaway remark she just said to be you know to show off and be big to the other neighbor and you don't want to, who's preferred? I think the other neighbour is going down that route. Oh, she likes me more than she likes you. These are mad things. This is lockdown. Melanie, just relax. Well, the only thing, well, two things. I think one, what's wrong with that neighbour, the other neighbour? Because really, you thought the best thing to do after that happened was come hightailing it to Melanie's house going, the old lady doesn't want you to come anymore. <laughs> I know, isn't that just insane? People don't yeah. think, or maybe they think too much and they think, I, don't know. I know what I'll do. But if the old lady did say it, one, I mean, did she say it knowing you it was going to get back to Melanie or did she say it trying to please that neighbour? Who knows? But if she said it and she meant it, all I would do, Melanie, is think. Think a little bit about what you've been doing. Is there any way you might have overstepped the mark? That's what it just the fact that she says interfering. I you know did you open her post or did you tidy a room that she didn't ask you to tidy? You know, that kind of thing where you think you're being helpful. You go through her bank details. Yes. Did you, did you sell her house? Um, just, but just that thing where you think you're being helpful, you know, oh, I hoovered upstairs. And actually they're thinking, I don't want some woman I'd hardly know wandering around upstairs with a hoover. Um, you know, that kind of thing. I just wonder, did you go a little bit too far in your helping? And and, and not out of, you know, that's not a, a criticism. It's just a thing where you just misjudge something and actually you've invaded this woman's privacy too much or something's gone a bit I mean, wrong. We don't know that though, Graham. But also, no, no, but I'm saying have Melanie, a think. But I'm saying to Melanie, have a yeah. think about that because I wonder if that's where this has come from. That's, also, that's Melanie all. in Cambridge, just remember, you did a good thing. I don't want people to stop helping others because they think, oh, I don't want to be interfering and people want, wanting me to go away. You did a good thing. Well done. Perhaps now that we, you know, we're coming out of lockdown, things will kind of get back to a se sense of normality and these things won't be needed. But really, the neighbour, I'm very cross with the neighbour who said, who told you this uh, and you know, why did she do that? What's her beef about this? I just think, just carry on as normal. But you could just say to the lady that you do the shopping for, let me know. I'll wait to hear from you. I think that might be the best way. And well done for doing a nice thing, Melanie in Cambridge. Yeah. And soon, soon the elderly neighbour will be, you know, she will be fully vaccinated. She'll have her second jab soon. And then, frankly, just go to the shops yourself. <laughs> See how you like that. Uh, don't worry about her. So, and let the other neighbour um, help. I mean, in fairness, she's got two neighbours who are doing a lot of helping. So I imagine it, it is a little that, overwhelming. That carpet has been hoovered threadbare, Graham. <laughs> it has, it has. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure listeners have been in the situation. They've either been the elderly neighbour or they've been one of these other neighbours. So uh, do let us know what you think Melanie in Cambridge should do now. Gerald in Cardiff and a lot of people have uh, picked up on this idea, sounds like an inheritance grab by the other neighbour. Don't let her get in the way of all your hard work. <laughs> uh, Bunty and Cheadle. Woohoo! Uh, she's been in touch. Rini uh, was Bunty's mother. Uh, she had a gardener who she used to force feed with all sorts of culinary triumphs and then complained to me about how he always expects his dinner. And it's slightly manipulative, but also her trying to offset what she feels as guilt at accepting help elsewhere. Meanwhile, tell that hard neighbour to wind her neck in. She sounds odious, frankly. Well, I think we all agree with Bunty there. The 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 bad 
per- bad cop in all of this is other neighbour. Guess what she said? She said, shut up. Spiteful neighbour. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the neighbour's listening. <laughs> they will not be enjoying the show this morning. No. Spiteful neighbour clearly wants the elderly lady's bank details. Stick to your guns and keep going to help her. This will put the neighbour off, Billy in Luton. And uh, Chrissy in Therum. This is very good advice. We can probably stop the advice after this. Uh, Next time you want to offer to do the shopping, use the exact words that were said. For example, uh, do you need any shopping doing? Let me know if you think I'm interfering and you prefer that I leave you alone. That way, she'll know what she said has got back and she can either accept, help or deny it. Not a bad confrontation. That is, I, oh, Chrissy and Ferrum is so sneaky and good. That is really passive aggressive and excellent, really non confrontational way to confront somebody. Brilliant. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. This man is the number one New York Times author of 31 novels. His books are published in 45 languages across the globe. The latest one is out now in hardback. In hardback, it's called Win, and the author is Harlan Coburn and Harlan should be on the line now. Good morning to you. Hey, Graham. How's it going? Very well. Thank you so much. If I was as successful as you, I would go, no, I'm not getting up at 7am to talk to that man on the radio. (laughs) Graham, for you, I wake up at (laughs) 6 in the morning. No question about it. For you, you know... Six, five, four. Just tell me when to be there. I'm there. I'm so there. Well, we're thrilled. We're thrilled you're here. Congratulations on this book. It's fantastic. It's just great. And, of course, Wynne, Windsor Horn Lockwood, is familiar to uh, your fans, but you don't need to have read any other books. It is a standalone story. Yes, it's it's maybe the first in a series just featuring... Win, who is probably my biggest um, anti-hero hero that I've had, and and one of the most fun guys to write about, because he was he's a kind of supporting character in your hugely successful Myron Bulletar uh, novels. Was it the fans who wanted Win to take center stage, or did you come up with the idea and think, "Ooh, actually, th- that's great," because it, it kind of it's a deep dive into his into his family and his past and their secrets. The readers have been asking for this for a really long time, and I think that's one of the reasons I resisted it. You know, it's one of the, one of those kind of things. And also, you know, sidekicks sometimes are sidekicks for a reason. I think the reason you love Win as a sidekick is because there's not that much of him. If you want more of him, I feel like I did my job. But then I came up with a story idea that that, that just had to be for him, and so here he is. Because <laughs> how much can you tell us about the the story? Well, I can tell you, you know, it involves an art heist. It involves um, 60s radicals. It involves an heiress kidnapping. It involves past family secrets. And Wynn is also, you know, someone described him recently as a cross between Batman and Dexter, which I thought was kind of interesting. He's a little bit sociopathic and rather rich. Yeah, there's a bit of American Psycho in there as well, isn't there? Yes, that's actually, that's a really good point. There is, um, you know, he's well-dressed. He's he's very different from, you know, if you saw The Stranger, he's not Adam in The Stranger. He's not the nice family man who's trying to keep his family together. He has no family. Uh, he's a, he's, a, he's sort of a wrecking crew. Um, so I'm, it was really fun to get, it was really fun to get into him. Yeah, I like that line about, you know, Batman's only superpower is he's rich. <laughs> it's It's true. You know, uh, I'm friends with Lee Child, who writes the Jack Reacher series, and we always get the question, we're together, who would win a fight, Jack Reacher or win? And he says Jack Reacher because he's bigger and the bigger man always wins. And I said, I I say win because win's richer and the richer (laughs) man always wins. (laughs) It it is kind of startling when you realize, oh, that is it. Batman just bought all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) that's true and there he is and when you're approaching something like this you know i said there 31 books i i that's there's probably gone up since that was written but do you still do you ever have any self-doubt or are you so confident now that you absolutely know what you're doing and you're in control of all the strands of the story oh god i'm racked with self-doubt every day uh, I mean, every day, I, I, and I'm writing, I was writing yesterday, I'll be writing going, oh my God, I lost it. I was so good before. What happened? Then five, five minutes later, I'm like, oh, what I'm writing is so great. What I wrote before, uh, let me, Graham, even though with all of your success, 
And I know you don't get nervous anymore when you go on the air, but isn't there, don't you still have a little bit of the imposter syndrome in you? Oh, entirely. But I mean, but, exactly. that, but I am an imposter. So that's, <laughs> that's an entirely it, different thing. <laughs> I think, I think it fuels, it fuels you. I mean, people who think that there's ever a stage, I think when you reach that stage, frankly, um, that means you're starting to phone it in. When I stop, start to stop worrying about, am I any good? Oh my God, I stink. I have to keep working. I think that's when maybe you start to lose it a little bit. But what I think is amazing is that you create that character, Myron Bolitar, and that, but you people it so fully that it's now had all these different, you know, you had the, the young adult novels. Now you've got these yeah. win books coming out of it. I mean, that's a, that's what a rich world to have invented. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, part of it is it's never your intention. It's just, you know, you're starting to tell a story and you figure out who is there and you walk in a room and, and, and people you, you start liking or not liking are there. Um, but if, if I had known when I first started to scratch out Myron Bolitar that one day I'd be on your radio show talking about when I would have, uh, 25 years later almost, I would have uh, passed out, I think, from surprise. Because when you wrote the first uh, Myron book, did you know it was going to be a series or did you just kind of think this is a, a good story, this is a great setting for, for a story? I did plan to be a series. Um, it was a very small series for a long time. But I, when I sold it, I had written the entire first book, Deal Breaker, and the first chapter of the second book, Drop Shot. And I sold it as, as a two-book series that became paperback originals what we call paperback originals in America, which is those mass market paperbacks. They don't never go into hardcover and that. So it had very low expectations. Let's put it this way. I couldn't have, I could, I, my mom bought three and somebody called me saying, whoa, it's doing much better than we expected. So really had very, start off with very modest expectations way back when. How do you change your mindset when you write books from different characters so soon after each other? Are you able to just like type the end and then start with another character? Well, first, like when I finish a book, I'm like a boxer who just went 15 rounds and can't even lift his hands and arms. I, I grow a playoff beard. I don't shower. It's really ugly around here. <laughs> so I usually take a little time off. It's like, you know, you just can't even think about writing again. And then slowly it start, you start to heal like anybody else. And, and then you can do it. But I, I don't think I could ever finish a book and start writing one the next day. It takes two or three months to come up with that next idea that to, to you want to conquer and how fully formed is it when you start writing does some of it happen on the hoof or are you mr post-it note whiteboard it's all planned out uh i'm, I'm a little bit of both i know the beginning you know in this case i knew when was going to have a violent moment early on i knew somebody was, was uh, there was going to be a murder victim this hoarder that was at the upper west side and i knew the twist ending i knew who did it i know very little in between oh right um, yeah, compared to driving from my home state of New Jersey across to California, I may go via the Suez Canal. I may stop in Tokyo or Blackpool <laughs> or go, this, you know, whatever, but I will end up in L.A. Uh, what's it been like working on screen projects in different languages? This is your huge Netflix deal where you're not just, I mean, everyone here watched The Stranger, but uh, you've got loads of things in the pipeline now. You're doing, is it French and, and Spanish original shows? Yeah, the next one is going to be on April 30th, The Innocent, which was in, made in Spain, uh, with starring Mario Casas and directed by Oriol Paolo, who did Invisible Guest. It's really fantastic. I can't wait for everybody to see it. And the one after that is gone for good in French. And then I'm back with my British team, you know, the, the same people I did The Five, Safe, and The Stranger with, the creative team. You've known Nicholas Schindler. I know you've had yeah. her on the show. And yeah. Danny Brocklehurst and Richard Fee, the four of us, have, this can be our make our fourth show stay close. We're filming it right now, actually, in the north, in the Manchester, Blackpool area. And it's Jimmy Nesbitt, Kush Jumbo, Richard Armitage, Eddie Azard, Sarah Parrish. So we are really looking forward to stay close coming out. That is quite the quite the cast. That's Isn't it? A, yeah. <laughs> I'm very, we're filming right now, and I'm just, you know, I see, I, I get every day, I get the rushes, what we call the rushes, the dailies, what, what they film the day before. Um, and it's really exciting to watch those that cast go go head to head. And the thing is, I love them all so much. I keep saying, "Ooh, I need more of that one, more of that one." You know, so it's really been fun. I can't wait for that so, one to come out. I mean, that's interesting. So you are that hands on with these projects. You you get you you're involved. Yes, the four. In fact, the, 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 we call I call this team the core four. We get in the morning. They send us 
costume and hair sometimes. Now, if you've seen photos of me, hair is probably not my expertise. <laughs> but you know, you've solved I, it. That's a problem. Hair, you've right? solved it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, but it's yeah. We it's really uh, we really stay hands on. I uh, you know the, the I really enjoyed uh, working on those other ones, um, Stranger and Safe, and the rest. So. Yes, we are um, very. Um, I try to be very hands on as, as we can. And uh, when when can we expect another? Because uh, people uh, people are have already finished this book and are going. When's the next win book coming out? So uh, when when can we uh, see the next win book? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've been, I I write one book a year. That's always been my schedule. It comes out right around now, the third week in March, and I hope to maintain that schedule for as long as I can. Well, listen, it's been gorgeous talking to you. We let go back to bed or. Write a book, <laughs> whatever, whatever, whatever you're up to. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Harlan Coburn. Thank you so much, Grant. Uh, Win is the book. It's out in hardback now. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. Bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show, Virgin Radio. Is that a champagne cork I hear popping? Yes, awards are flying. Uh, Loose Women this week got awarded a Royal Television Society Award for Best Daytime Show. And one of the award winning, award winning, that's quite hard to say, Loose Women is on the line now. Brenda Edwards, hello to you. Good afternoon, Graham. How are you? Well, I'm not award winning. Not right now. <laughs> I am, darling. Oh, you were. So how did it work? Was there a was there some sort of virtual ceremony or did they just give did they text you and say, by the way, you won an award? No, um we they did it we had a, a like a a, a a link that we had to um all log into. So myself, um Charlene White, Kelly Bryant and Judy Love, we all logged on. And um and it was going on live with Jonathan there um talking to us. It was absolutely oh my gosh, it was so amazing. Such an exciting night it was. <laughs> you can no, still I, see I'm still excited. Yeah, but I think I feel like not being there probably saved you because I've I've been at award shows when those loose women have won prizes. <laughs> and oh oh you celebrate. You know how to celebrate. Well, exactly. You know, it's all about the positivity and just getting it going and, and keeping the party going. That's what we're about. So, you know. Uh, but the the but one of the episodes that was nominated was your Black History Month episode. And the four of yeah. you were on that panel. And I think it's one of those things, you know, being a, a black person on television, you're already representing. So yeah. what was it like for you to kind of look across the desk and just, you know, and see yourself represented entirely it must have been quite emotional it was very emotional that show i mean i think all of all of the ladies on that day and and even everybody you know backstage it's not just about us on the panel it's everybody what goes on behind the scenes and we were all really nervous and excited and and you know it we'd been building up for for this episode for for a while there's a lot that goes as i'm sure you can appreciate that it goes a lot into making the show so um it was just such a powerful moment and the the tears were running i was singing um, Houston and we were all crying at the end. It was just a, such an overwhelming experience for everybody, I think. And crazy that that, you know, that it, isn't it crazy that in 2020, 2020, when the episode airs, that that was such an enormous thing. And happily, it will never be such an enormous thing again. Absolutely. It's about, you know, it's about normalising things and just not even thinking about it. You look on the telly and there's four beautiful women there that are representing. It doesn't actually matter, um, you know, what the, our different cultures, I think, and, and what we've gone through, our different experiences, I think, is what just adds to the show. And that's with everybody, all of the loose women. We're all individual ladies at the end of the day who've got something to say. And, you know, we try to use that platform to help others. And that's the most important thing and what it should all be about. Yeah, so, just reflecting yeah. that audience, just reflecting who's watching. Absolutely, absolutely. And it was such lovely positive feedback that we've had from so many people. Um, you know, it's like I said, it's it's been overwhelming this week. I'm, I, I haven't even, I'm still, you know, just replying, trying to reply to all the messages and things of, of, of all the messages of support from the, our audience, which is what that show is about. Fun at lunchtime for... For, for the masses. <laughs> and tell me this, um, what's it been like lockdown? So did Luzerman came off the air briefly, didn't it? Yes, last, um, well, yeah, in March when the lockdown happened um, because we had to figure out the whole social yeah. distance um, thing. And now um, you're kind of, is it half and half now? Some of you in, well, some of... 
three of us are on the panel and one down the line. Um, so yeah, that's that's how it's been working at the moment. And and it's 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 not perfect, but it's not been perfect for anybody. But we're trying to do the best that we can to make it look, um, you know, make it still be as the, the fun show that people know and love for over twenty odd years. So I know that was know. the thing that shocked me that it's been on air for twenty two years. Why should it shock you, Graham? <laughs> what do you mean shock? Well, because I, in my head, it's a new show. But I, I mean, no. I shouldn't talk because actually, because uh, my show's been on the air for twenty-two years as well. <laughs> no, it's it's going to be twenty-one years, I think, in September this year. It's twenty-one years of loose women. We're not going anywhere. Brilliant. Wow. I mean, and it, it is what because when did you join? Um, I joined two years ago. Sorry, I please forgive me. It's twenty-two years uh, in September this year. That's so what I thought. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're one older. Yeah, but um, I joined two years ago um, after um, I, I'd been on the panel a, a few times. I've grown up watching. I say grown up. Listen to me. I've grown up. I have grown up watching being a loose woman fan myself. So to be on the panel is such an honor and such a privilege for me. It's, it's something I've always thought. Oh my gosh, look at those women just saying what they think and just getting it out there and you know we cover so many different topics that you know we've got the body stories campaign we've got the light and low campaign stand by your man campaign there you know it's there's so many issues that we cover and it's just an honor to be a part of that panel uh, Brenda you were talking there about you know using your platform and I have to say I'm so in awe of what you've done you know so many people um, find kind of fame on a reality show and then it just disappears but you had such kind of <laughs> faith but no you'd real faith in your talent and your abilities and you were like no I'm not going anywhere I'm here now <laughs> <laughs> well it was obviously as you know the theatres have been closed since March um you know it was a couple of days um ago that that it was the one year anniversary of when we Soho and the West End and the theatres they all closed down and it's it's that's been a source of a, a real source for to help me to to do what I love doing, which is singing and my passion of singing, and you know to know that the theatres are closed and we can't go out and just have some fun and entertainment and live music, which is you know just brings such energy. And I you know it's obviously something I'm very very passionate about. And so yeah, I've 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 tried my best since X Factor, and then I get went into Chicago, and then we were Rock You, and then Carousel, and you know I've I've and Hairspray. I've had a fabulous a fabulous ride so far. It's just starting. <laughs> and do you and do you kind of keep gigging when you're doing Loose Women? Do you? I mean, in normal times, obviously not now, but in normal times, do you kind of balance Loose Women with still going out there yeah. and doing shows? The producers, yeah, the producers are very supportive. I mean, all of the Loose Women, they do other things you know we've got kelly who 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 is in hollyoaks um and denise who's in hollyoaks um you know everybody does their different things that they do and um it's really nice to have that support from from the producers and the editors and everything in the show to allow us to to do what we do it's it's a way of also showing you know you can do that but you you can also have your opinion and you can you know speak to the masses on on every single platform it's it's just great do you all i mean before the show obviously you know you go through the topics that are going to be discussed and everything and yeah. do you do you kind of bounce your opinions off each other then or is that or does that happen on air for it's, the first time well it's more you know we we talk about it's the collective um thing the the show putting it's everybody's collective thoughts and what things that they want to discuss um and so it's it's more like a top line thing and you you know say okay there's this topic and what do you think can you give a, a little brief idea and then it all plays out um fully live on on the panel because obviously you don't know what anybody's going to say at a particular moment in time and with me you know I'll probably forget one thing and then I come up with <laughs> this I this this thought about that thing and then I'm I'm like but on the other hand you know so yeah it all just plays out on the on the panel as you see it and it's that's the fabulous thing about it I love that and in the world of cancel culture are you kind of nervous oh of, of uh, your opinion kind of like I won't I don't think I'll have such a strong opinion on that <laughs> I think I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll backpedal on that <laughs> Well, I, you know, I'm such a positive person, um, Graham, and so I always try to see the positive out of the negatives, and and that's kind of how I apply with my life, with everything. So when I'm on there, it's it's your personal opinion, and 
people are always going to come for you, you know, one way or another. Yeah. If, if you say something that you, you, you're not going to please everybody, but it's about just being honest. Um, and that's all that I can be is, is just myself. Um, you know, I know I have this big, massive laugh that might annoy some people, but that's just me. And, <laughs> um, you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> Brenda, it's been lovely to talk to you. The award-winning Loose Women airs weekdays at 12.30 on ITV. And, of course, it's all on ITV Hub. Take care of yourself, Brenda Edwards. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Brenda. Lovely Thank to you. talk to you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Coming up, Georgia Tofolo takes us to Hawaii in our brand new Mills and Boone romance, but not before Neil Dudgeon tells us what we can expect from the new series of Midsummer Murders. Hello, Neil Dudgeon. Hello, Graham. How are you? Lovely to hear you. Uh, very nice to hear you. Uh, normally, when we meet, you give me some Midsummer Murder tat, but not today. <laughs> tat? Yes, I'm tat in Midsummer. Quality merchandise opportunities. Um, yes, I'm afraid I can't. I have. I, 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 I probably have got some tat, some, uh, some quality merchandise that I would happily share with you, but um, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to. 3D I, mean, it too, I, it? I say it's Tad. It's all still in my house. I've thrown none of it away. I've got the tea Bless tray, you. the jigsaw, the, the mugs. The, it's all there. It's all there. The Cluedo. Did you get the Cluedo? I don't know. I didn't get the Cluedo. You got the midsummer themed Cluedo? Oh, no. This is an outrage. The, the, the I, opener, Graham, Graham Norton, super fan, have not got these Mutsumorodas Cluedo. That's shocking. Oh. Well, sort that out. Uh, so this is 10 years. So presumably you finally, you mustn't, you don't feel like the new boy anymore, surely. No, no, I, I think I've sort of been accepted by the um, the local people fairly well by now. Um, no, it's, it's weird. I, people have been saying to me lately that it's 10 years. It hasn't really occurred to me that it's that, it's that long. You know, you just sort of do it day to day. And, and we're, we're only ever commissioned a year at a time, so you never know whether, it's, whether this will be the last series or this will be the last series, uh, whether there'll be any more. Oh, come um, on. So you just, you just kind of go on one day at a time, one I- show at a time. And it starts uh, tonight. Tonight, it's on on at eight o'clock on ITV tonight, and obviously it'll all be on the hub as well. And I would say tonight's episode is a classic episode. It's don't you think? It's it's just quintessentially Midsummer Murders. It's got a lot of midsummery type things in it, hasn't it? It's got um, it's it's about bees and yoga. (laughs) <laughs> and um, a strange alliance between. I mean, just things like that. I kind of think if anybody said to you, "There's a there's a police drama on this evening, and it's all about bees and yogi," you'd think, "Oh, that's Midsummer." You're not going to confuse that with any other <laughs> any other kind of show, are you? And, and we've got Griff Reeves. Griff Reeves Jones is in. I must mention Griff because he was hilarious and marvelous. And um, he's a, he's a man uh, raising bees, but then somebody of ill intent is trying to weaponize the bees against other people and I'm afraid fatalities ensue in a in a variety of rather interesting and intriguing ways and there's yoga the, yes we see you doing yes. yoga now is that did that come naturally to you uh, Neil? I wouldn't say it, I wouldn't say it comes naturally to me <laughs> I have been does it, does it, I mean well I've been doing it for quite a while I have been doing yoga myself for sort of four or five years I suppose um so when they popped this in as oh there's this sort of yoga thing in it and we see you in a yoga class um, I thought aha I think I have been um, preparing for this unwittingly no because I so thought I you was, did look very flexible when you were on the when you were on the mat and you were doing that one leg back and the one leg mm-hmm. on to you I thought oh, he's he has the use of himself that's a stuntman doing that <laughs> <laughs> no that's really me it's really really me no, it was a beautiful morning because we rehearsed that with a, a yoga teacher and a, and a group of people who were her yoga class and then uh, we, it's in a it's in a church that we do it. So we rehearsed it, and then went outside into the into the graveyard, I suppose, the churchyard, to wait for them to light it and everything. And then the the yoga teacher started doing a yoga class with her class in the in the churchyard. So I thought, oh, I'll have a bit of this, and joined him in that. So we had about a twenty minute yoga class before we started um, before we started actually filming it. And it's wonderful, as everybody knows, it's a wonderful way to start the day, getting yourself all sort of loose and stretched. So now I do a little bit every morning. And you know, I, because, and because it is all filmed in these gorgeous places. I mean, it must be, there must be quite a nice atmosphere because everyone, you know, not just the cast, but all of the crew and everything must must like being there. It's not like filming, the, you know, the streets of East London or something. You're kind of, it's just glorious. Yes, I used to do quite a lot of that as a, as a younger actor. I did more sort of, uh, yeah, more of that sort of thing, the inner city violence, policey sorts of things and filming in a, 
in a sewer in Wapping at three o'clock in the morning, that sort of thing. Um, but yes, moving out to the the leafy shires of, of Midsummer has been has been great. And there's often conversations among the crew with each of the saying, "Oh, could you live here? Would you like? Would you go for the thatched cottage, or would you go for you know the stately <laughs> home, or what would you do?" And yeah, it's a, it is a it's 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 we're very fortunate to be out there. We've got the lovely countryside. We spend most of our time in in fields and or stately homes or you know, beautiful countryside. Uh, so we're out in the fresh air and, um, and having a lovely time in lovely buildings mostly. Yeah, we're, we're, very, we're very fortunate. But now this, these, there's four episodes. Were they all yeah, filmed well, pre-lockdown? No, no. The first two were filmed, uh, when would it be, 2019. Um, and then we didn't start filming last year when we were supposed to be in March. Instead, we started filming in October. Um, and we've been filming since then. We're still filming. So the second two of these four were filmed in October, November, December last year. So they're very hot, fresh off the off the presses. But and what you're still filming now? We're filming now. We started filming the the new group of. We're filming six episodes at the moment. The first two of which are the second two of the four that are. Are you following this? I am. Yeah. Uh, that, are, that are going out. And then we are going on. So we'll do six all together, of which two will be broadcast in that. So we're on episode, I think, four at the moment of, of six. Uh, we're coming towards the end of this one, and then we'll have another two and we film till uh, middle of June with wow. our COVID protocols and restrictions yeah. and various things. But again... Which has, been, which has been interesting. Well, also, again, for you guys, it's slightly easier because you can do lots of filming outside and... Mm. No. <laughs> yes, it kind of, it's sort of, we're not as we're not we we don't probably have as many problems as some productions because we do we do as you say we have a lot of things outside. Or, or there was one episode we did almost exclusively in a vast country house, um, which was so everybody can kind of stay apart because we're filming in huge ballrooms and dining rooms all the time. Uh, although the doors and windows are open quite a lot, so it does get. It's like being outside all the time. It's just it's been through January and February that was a bit, you know. A bit it was nippy. a bit chilly. Yeah. It got a little bit chilly, but you know, these we, we battle through these things. How long how long do you think you'll keep doing the show for? I mean, have you had that conversation with yourself or with others about, you know, would you keep good, you know, is there an end? <laughs> um I I haven't had the conversation very much with others until now, Graham. Oh, okay, <laughs> well, let's have it now. <laughs> um, uh, I, as I said, we we only do a sort of a year at a time. So, um, we, by the time we get to the end of a series, I'm pretty exhausted, and then I have a bit of a rest, and then they come back and they say, "Oh, they want some more next year," and I think, oh, "Okay, then go on, we'll do next year." Um, so it's not like there's a kind of long-term plan that I'm going to do this for the next sort of five. When I started, there was no sort of long-term plan to do it for ten years. Um, I don't. It, it's sort of difficult, really, because it's it's such a great job if you want yeah. to be an actor and work in television. Um, but I, it's it's sort of perfect. It's sort of it's just great. You work with so many different people. The great thing as well is every episode is different. We have a different. There's a different writer, a different milieu, a different uh, different director. We have different. It's nearly all different actors each week. There's only the four of us who are regulars. So you've got this whole new sort of influx every five weeks, and it's um it's like you're doing a different. It's, it's kind of like you're doing a a different job every five weeks, but with the sort of security and comfort of it being something that you've been doing for for ages. So in many ways, it's um, it's a kind of perfect job, and I think if I did, if I do occasionally feel a bit exhausted and think, "Oh, I can't go on doing this forever," um, I then sort of look and think, "What, what else would I do?" <laughs> like, I don't think that, I don't think there'd be much point leaving Midsummer to go and do another any more work in television. Really, I think maybe when I maybe when it's time for me to pack it in all together and and do something completely different. Wow, I'll pack it in. But I have no. So I don't have any immediate plans to leave unless yeah. there's a public unless a public petition gains <laughs> an unstoppable momentum and then I'll have to I'll have to pack it in. Yes, I hadn't really considered that idea that actually you do get lots of variety. It's not like you're in a long running thing where you're all the same. It, that is great that there's new people every week. Oh, it's, or every, it's fantastic, yeah. and also we get to I mean in the normal in the normal run of things we'd shoot for four weeks and then uh, we'd have a, a prep week and then start shooting again the following Monday. Uh, so we finish on the Friday night and by then hopefully you've kind 
and they've got everything out of the current script that you possibly can and you never want to see that again and you put that away and you have the weekend and then on Monday you go back to work and there's like 10, 12, 15 new actors and a new director around a, around the table for a read-through and they're all coming to a new job and seeing each other and some renewing old friendships, some seeing each other for the first time um, and it brings a tremendous energy to, to every episode because of the because of the guests really and the director and the writer so it's, it is con- it constantly re-energizes itself in that way I think and hopefully it it doesn't allow any of us to get kind of jaded with it or tired of it or anything because it's always it's always there's always a lot of it that's new and that's uh, that's sort of quite exciting I yeah. think. as you say if you're doing the same job with the same people for like six eight months or years and years and years I think inevitably it gets a bit samey um, what's been your favourite storyline uh, from the show in in the ten years you've been doing it? What's your your favourite one? Because there have been some classics. My my favourite, but for well, it, there was an episode called uh, "Incident at Cooper Hill," and it was about this place, Cooper Hill, where uh, it, it was known as a place that people thought they saw UFOs a lot. So lots of UFO um, fans would would gather in this village to see supposedly this sort of strange um, alien activity. Uh, and in the, when I first read it, I was thinking, great, I used to be a great fan of the X-Files. And I thought, oh, this is great. We're doing a sort of, you know, borderline sci-fi sort of thing. But obviously it can't be. Um, and as I was reading the script, there's then a bit where, where one of the ufologist people sees a UFO and we, the audience, see a UFO. So we've already sort of crossed the line there where it's not, you know, people talking about it. It's actually there on your screen. And then the UFO goes overhead, crashes in the woods. And the next scene... It was when Willem Lee was doing the show. So it was Barnaby and Nelson turned up at the at the crash scene in the wood, and we got a crash site of a UFO. And as I was first reading the script, I thought, "Oh, this is it. We've really crossed the line here. We've got into really sort of mad territory. We can't show a crashed UFO. It's, it's ridiculous." Um, but the writer, I think it was Paul Logue, wrote that, one. and he um, he sort of brought it back from this crazed area into into something relatively incredible and realistic and believable and that it wasn't that it wasn't quite as much about ufos as as it seemed to be or about a certain kind of ufo um and that i i loved that very much because i thought it was really it was really kind of out there as you say we've had some pretty nutty storylines but i thought that was one of the nuttiest so that was one of the bravest things it's okay now we're going to examine a crashed ufo on midsummer we've we've gone mad here but yeah i, I liked that one a lot i've watched that now i can't remember what happened was it an raf thing was it an experimental something there was some sort of yes there was some sort of raf thing with i think was there a bulgarian involved and then <laughs> alice steadman turned up with the man of course with she the did beard it was all sort of and steve evans fell off the roof of his caravan or something like that i it's a long time ago, but it was uh, some people and bodies were turning up in those sort of black membranes full of some sort of goo that the aliens had killed them in. I mean, again, you see, you're not you're not going to mistake that storyline for any other show on the television. Uh, very quickly, Neil. Where, very quickly, where is it your worship like a god? Is it Denmark? Is it Vanuatu? Oh, that's Prince Philip, isn't it? <laughs> um, it's, uh, the Scandinavia. Scandinavia are very keen on the show. Sweden. Uh, it's very big, and I think it's like the number one show in Sweden or something. The the head of SVT, which is sort of BBC of Sweden, said to me um, that the the people of Sweden love Midsummer so much they think it's a Swedish show now. It's like it's theirs. It's, it's not British anymore. It's a Swedish show. I thought it was so great to be adopted by another country and clutched to their bosom so fervently that they think it's their show. So yes, it's very popular in Scandinavia. It's quite. It's it's um. I wouldn't say surprisingly popular. It's, it's quite popular around the globe. Australia, it's very popular. You, you hear people from all over, really all over the world, and anywhere that I've been in the last 10 years, somebody somewhere will come and say, Inspector Barnaby, you're, you know, it's, it's, it's beloved around the world. For, you know, for the countryside and the, yeah. the eccentric English and all those sorts of things. I think. And the beautiful central performance by Neil Dodger. I, I couldn't possibly yeah, comment you on that, Graham. You're far <laughs> A classic episode tonight, The Sting of Death. I say classic, it's a brand new episode, but it's, it's an instant classic, ladies and gentlemen. The Sting of Death, 8 o'clock tonight on ITV. Neil Dodger, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on your first 10 years. Thank you very much, Graham. Here's the next 10. Woohoo! All right, take care of yourself, Neil. Bye. Thank you. You too, Graham. Bye bye. Bye. 
The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Mills and Boone are the number one publisher of romantic fiction that have been since 1908. Their latest author is Georgia Tofolo, who's just published Meet Me in Hawaii, and she should be on the line now. Hello. Hi, darling. How are you? I'm very well. Now, am I the only person? Is it just like teachers and police that call you Georgia? <laughs> and if I'm in trouble with my mother, yes. <laughs> everyone seems to call me Toph. <laughs> so, can I call you Toph? Please, yes, I love it. It's such a silly nickname. I mean, it could... I mean, it's followed me around now and I've just become so attached to it. It's so silly, but I love it. Uh, well, now, Meet Me in Hawaii, that's your second Mills and Boone of four. And it's sort of each... There's four... So, I'm right, there's four friends and each book centres on a different one of them. That's exactly it. So, Meet Me in Hawaii is the second book. The posh word for it is a quartet, I'm told. Hello. Um, and it follows, you know, a lovely group of girlfriends who <laughs> grew up much like me in Devon by the coast. Um, but it was really important to me that the books can be read as a standalone. So, you don't have to read my first book, Meet Me in London, that came out um, in October of last year. You can dive straight in with Meet Me in Hawaii, which came out last week. And it's just... Gosh, of course I'm quite biased, but it's just such an enchanting story of, you know, female friendship and love. And I love the idea of kind of a fairy tale. And also I think lots of us need a bit of escapism right now. It's been a very strange old year. And I hope that my book will just transport everyone somewhere really wonderful. Well, Hawaii is such a great setting. It's lovely and a surf school. I mean, it just it couldn't be more kind of ideal and escapist. It's just, yeah. And the next one is Meet Me in Tahiti. Yes, that's right. Um, we actually were really lucky. We managed to get two chapters of the third book in the back of Meet Me in Hawaii. So I'm thrilled that that's coming out later on this, in this year. Um, but they're just it's just so wonderful for me to have had these books to concentrate on over the past year because you know we've lost so much freedom and I'm such a little social creature and I'm really really missing my friends and going out and having a dance and I think you know for me to have had these books has been a real blessing and I hope that they bring joy to people. Well they do and I mean there's romance but then you know I, it's it's just noon on a Sunday but you know I'd safe <laughs> to say you know they do go all the way Toph. So is there someone from Mills and Boone, <laughs> yes. is there someone in Mills and Boone oh, looking over your shoulder going, uh, I don't think so. Or are they going, oh, actually, you can push it a bit further, if you know what I mean. <laughs> no, they're going, tough. don't be so vanilla. Ramp it up. Come on, <laughs> give us the goods. <laughs> it would have been a travesty if we hadn't have put in a light dusting of a little bit of bonking um, because it is a Mills and Boone novel. And I thought it was the right thing to do. And the scenes are so well done. Um, and I wrote it alongside my co-author and we had a right laugh doing it. Nothing wrong with a bit of bunking, hey, Graham? Well, no, because in the end, you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not as romantic as you'd like unless, you know, it, something happens. So, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. And are Mills and Boone, I mean, because Mills and Boone is one of those, everybody knows Mills and Boone. Um, are you the first kind of um, celebrity author they've had or is this something that they've been doing for ages and I just didn't know? Yeah, I think I was. Yeah, that's right. Um, Sarah Ferguson has actually got a book coming out with Mills and Boone in a few months, which is quite exciting. Wow. Um, but yeah, I think what we're trying to do is just attract kind of a younger audience of women in their 20s and 30s because they are just brilliant. The formula of Mills and Boone, obviously it's worked. It's worked for a century. And I just love that there is always a joyous, happy ending. And I just, for me, reading and writing romantic fiction is just so wonderful. And maybe I do have my head in the clouds and I believe in fairy tales and happily ever afters. And I love that Mills and Boone align with me on that. So, yeah, it's the first venture for them doing something with someone like me. And you know, you've been writing in lockdown, but you've also been working because Channel 4, I think, were really good about turning shows around in lockdown and getting lockdown shows on. And one of the first ones was Celebrity Snoop Dogs. Uh, which, oh, that was brilliant. Which is a bit like oh, monkey, monkey Tennis, Alan Partridge or something. Here's the, here's the idea. We strap a camera to a I dog. Know. So tell, tell and us I was what, like, what, what, where do I sign? Sign me up. <laughs> My poor little dog, Monty, who was this camera strapped to him. I mean, obviously, I would say so, but he was star of the show because he's just so unbelievably naughty. You know, he was jumping up on the dining room table. You know, it was just, it was absolute carnage. And I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. Who on earth came up with that silly idea? But it was such a winning formula because we couldn't do anything else. And how old's Monty now? He's just turned one. He was, he was a... 
two, I got him two weeks before the first lockdown last year. And I mean, I live on my own. It's been a bit of a nightmare without this dog. I mean, we're, we're like a little kind of terrible twosome. We just kind of rock around together. And without him, I honestly don't know what I would have done. Um, we, we have a wonderful time together. There is something to be said for animals um, and helping you emotionally just get through. Oh, no, it's been absolutely. Such a blessing. Yeah, no, really. And why were you pushing Monty in a pram? Oh, God, this has been haunting me. Right, so I live in the centre of London. OK. And the dog hadn't had his jabs. So I had this wonderful idea that I would just get a pushchair and kind of walk around southwest London with him. Everyone thought I was barking out apart from myself. And then I, I figured out that I could actually get him into Harrods if I threw a blanket over the top of the pram. And they thought that it was a baby. So it was just win-win for everyone. And then the chap at the door kind of figured out my, my stealthy plan. But we did have a bit of fun for a few weeks. Honestly, I looked absolutely mental <laughs> i thought you could bring dogs into harrods i thought didn't, didn't yeah they... you used to not anymore they're not allowed anymore i thought exactly the same so i sort of strode up all confident dog in push chair and no you're not allowed anymore <laughs> so i went round the back <laughs> put a blanket over it <laughs> <laughs> yeah this will work <laughs> i know it did got away with it for a couple of weeks <laughs> how have you been staying so positive in the past year because you are like a little ray of sunshine oh. That's so lovely of you to say, thank you. I think for me, I've just been planning for the future. So I do these silly try it on videos on my Instagram and I sort of fantasise about where I'm off to. So whether I want to go to the West End or whatever, obviously I'm not leaving the house because obviously that's what yep, we've been yep, doing for yep. a very long time. Um, and I put together the most amazing outfits and I'm trying not to buy anything new. And I've just been, that's my way of relaxing, but also envisaging what a wonderful time we're going to have when we are allowed out. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, and it's. I feel like it's soon. I feel like there is light at the end of the tunnel, don't you? Oh, it's, it's not far away. We're allowed to knees up in the park in two weeks. Not woo, that I'm woo. She's planning oh, already. Yeah. <laughs> Mon Monty's eyeing the pram. I'll be, oh, yeah. I'll be in that soon. <laughs> um, uh, lots of people are asking about Made in Chelsea. Is it an open door policy on Made in Chelsea? Or when you decide to leave, uh, do they say never darken our door again? <laughs> Oh, I would hope that they would have me back. Gosh, I still live really close to everyone. We're still good friends. It's just, if I'm being completely honest, Graham, it's when I've got to 26 and I just think maybe a bit of privacy in my private life would be quite nice. And you mustn't do shows like that if you want to live that way. You must give everything because it's, it's unfair on the other cast members if they're leading their lives in front of a camera for sort of the enjoyment of others and if one of you says well actually i don't want to show who i'm with or what i'm up to in my private time it doesn't work so no not for the moment i shan't be going back but god what a wonderful time we did have it is very i remember uh mark francis vandelli he was a friend of a friend of mine and yes, i met him I before him. It, it, it all started and he was saying oh he was thinking of doing this thing and i was like you're out of your mind i mean you're rich why would you why would you go in a reality show um but in fact he's loved it i mean and it seems like everyone everyone does have a nice time doing that show yeah i think so if you have really clear boundaries i think it is the most amazing thing and for me would I have had the most amazing career opportunities like being able to go in the jungle and write books? No way if I hadn't have done Made in Chelsea as a springboard. But I mean, for me, I, I took a gap here and I moved up to London. I didn't go anywhere exciting. I just came up to the city. I was so thrilled. And it was either me going off to university in the September or me joining Made in Chelsea. And I made that snap decision. My parents were like, what on earth are you doing? And I look back and I think, gosh, well done me for having the courage to do something quite out there. Because as you said, it is a bit, whoa, reality TV. People, especially, you know, when it all started, people were so confused as to why anyone would want to do it. Y yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was like, whoa. Uh, but but as you say, it has worked for you. It's it's given you this career and this platform to do all these other things. So congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. No, I'm really grateful. I've had a really amazing time, particularly since I left the jungle. It's just been amazing. Woohoo! Uh, well, look, let's remind everybody that uh, Meet Me in Hawaii is out now in paperback. And the next one, Meet Me in Tahiti, that's out, what, later this year? Later on this year, yep. Fantastic. And do, do you plan beyond your quartet or is that the that the end of it? Oh, gosh, I so hope so. If anyone's listening from Mills and Boone, I would so love to carry on writing. It's just been amazing. And for me to sort of learn a new craft, I've written a lot over the years, but never romantic fiction. And I feel like I've really got going with it now. Well, good luck to you. Uh, thank, it's been really lovely to talk to you, uh, Georgia. Toff. And, uh, <laughs> and we look forward to the next book. Take care of yourself Thanks for now. having me. All bye. Right. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Thank you so much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning. And the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Ciao, then. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio.